Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I think um, a good book club meets once a month. Oh. Our book club meets once every two months. You're in a Bad, bad girl, <laughs> bad boy book club. But no one ever comes. You're on this TV show now, right? So like, actually, right. if I were you, yeah. I would not want people to start showing up now all of a sudden. But I invited you to the book club. Yes. And I am a hanger on. <laughs> Even looking at your face now, I'm just catching up with the fact that you're not Carrie. Yes. Can you imagine if I tell my friends, like, Carrie invited me and I'm, oh, yeah, can I? <laughs> my friends would be like, you never fucking join a book club, but Carrie wants you. And now, you know, you never responded. The offer stands. That's our guest coming up later. Chuckles the Clown. Everybody's favorite friend, assistant and advisor, Carrie Castellabate. AKA Zoe Winters. Why don't you give me a Lucas? Lucas. Eba. Eba. I kind of wanted to do like, why do I have to be so gender normative about it? <laughs> okay. You do. Lucas. Eba. <laughs> that was very satisfying into that. It's an abusive relationship, but you're enthralled by it. I know, I know. But one of the things about succession that I love so much is that it takes these sort of abuses of power, like Roman over Jerry and now Lucas over Ebba, and makes me be like into it. We just watched Tailgate Party and there ain't no party like a tailgate party. And there ain't no party like a tailgate party because a tailgate party is mandatory. That's a 30 Rock reference. Let's start with our brain dumps. Okay, I'll go first. I did not understand the amount of time that was spent at at Jean-Georges. This is the siblings at the breakfast meeting of the funeral management committee. They walk in, Connor's there already. They sit down, they sip water, and they leave. Shiv is left. And I just, I couldn't understand how little time they all spent at the table. Does Shiv now have to sit there and order a bite to eat? I think Connor had already ordered continental breakfast for four because there were croissants and pastries on the table. No, no, no. I don't think they're doing like a a continental breakfast at Jean-Georges. No, I'm sure I saw a pano. A pano? Pano chocolat. I always hate because you just say a chocolate croissant in America and it's much more comfortable. I find like a pano chocolat is sort of forcing all these British people into something they're not quite ready for. (laughs) Okay, okay. You can go to the terrace at Jean-Georges for breakfast. How much do you think pastries cost? Oh, like if you're going to order. If you're going to Jean-Georges for breakfast. A pano. Yeah. How much do you think a pano is? $8. $6. Not bad. I wonder if it's like a great pano chocolat. I think there is a ceiling on how good a pano chocolat can be. Sure. 
But I imagine John George is pretty close to that ceiling. Although the Pret one is very good. No, I, I wouldn't. Um, I feel like maybe I have tried a pen au chocolat from Pret and I spat it into my napkin. <laughs> maybe Shiv asked for a doggy bag. No, it's Probably not possible. Not. Maybe Shiv emptied the pastries into her bag like you would have done. I would have wrapped them in a napkin and stolen the napkin. Shall I go? Please. So I don't know about you. I don't know what my woe man thinks about Oman. <laughs> but I do think that I could live in a, a fully underground compound if it was nice enough. Go on. I just feel like natural light is overrated. Oh, my God. I genuinely think that's part of why you're a depressive person. Because I think you don't... There are all these things that other people accept are sort of part of what helps them feel normal in the world. Like, for example, exposure to natural lighting, going outdoors, moving your body. And your sort of thing is that none of that affects your happiness level. And you just so happen to be kind of depressed. And maybe you actually do really need it. And if you had just accepted that more, you'd be a happier person. I think natural light is the answer to all my problems. Um, Do you think I should get one of those sad lamps? No, I think exactly what you don't need is a sad lamp. Sad lamp is about like sunshine, not exposure to natural light. Your body can't tell the difference. I feel panicked even thinking about it. I don't like to think about it. Living (gasps) in an underground compound. (gasps) It's making me feel stressed. Have you ever stayed at the Britannia Hotel in Manchester on your travels? Is it the fancy one? uh, Not at all, no. But some of their rooms are in the middle of the building. So instead of windows, they've got curtains, which if you open them, they've got a bad painting of the New York skyline. Oh my God, that's so grim. Okay, me next. I was very interested at the tailgate party in the pairing of the sliders and the Perrier Jouet champagne. Like, I I couldn't wrap my head around a slider. Is any food made more fun by making it fun size? I actually feel disgusted by um, mini, mini foods. Does that include baby sweet corn? Oh, yes, I don't like a baby sweet corn. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like eating nothing. It's like a water chestnut. Mm. Really unpleasant. All right. I know what I am getting you for your next birthday, even though it's almost a year away. Uh-huh. I'm getting you a mug on which it says, nothing happens in New York that doesn't happen everywhere. And I'm going to buy it from a head shop in Rotterdam. Oh, uh, that was, um, it got at this thing that has been knocking around inside me for about a decade. So the city of my heart is New York. I think it's the greatest city in the world. But also the snobbery of New Yorkers, which I now fully understand, both because I've lived in that city for 15 years and been away from it for 10, is so intense. And the New Yorkers really don't understand that the rest of the world doesn't consider it the center of the world. And I've never seen it gotten at so beautifully as it did, as, as Matson. A lot of this only in New York stuff is about the fact that it is the largest concentration of people in a country that has very little in the way of healthcare and social safety net. <laughs> so if, if you see a homeless person who looks like Saddam Hussein when they found him in that hole, roller skating down Broadway on the Upper West Side with a speaker blaring out music and a tiara on his head, that's not because it's the quirkiest, greatest city on earth. It's because he's not no getting did. access to the right medication and care. Right. Other people's impoverishment and mental illness makes you feel like you're living somewhere with lots of edge and colour. Yeah, but what about all the great spots for coffee? (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. I try to not criticise this show, but you made a fucking error in this fucking episode. Sarah, why? Because you put Matson in a vest slash tank top, depending on what side of the Atlantic you're on, that was so tight 
underneath that big jacket he was wearing. It looked like a bodysuit that had those crotch buttons, like a onesie for an adult. Like a unitard. Yeah. Like, like something a Victorian weightlifter would wear. Yes. It was so tight. It was disgusting. How far you have fallen. <laughs> Since the episode where we see him in Norway and he comes out with his hood up and then he takes it off and we see a little belly. And this fucking episode, I'm disgusted. I'm annoyed the whole episode was wasted. Has anybody else been repeatedly refreshing the Succession Fashion Instagram account to see where that Matson jacket is from? The jacket is not always interesting to me because the jacket, I get it. The jacket, the jacket. What about that fucking male bodysuit. I was more disgusted by that than the idea of the blood bricks. Disgusting. <laughs> if I promise not to pair it with a low-scooped tank top bodysuit, would you consider getting me that jacket for Christmas? No, because it would be too expensive. Also a little too boxy for your frame, maybe? Uh, okay, a question. Just how soundproof is the double glazing on Tom and Shiv's balcony? Great, Jeff. And just for British listeners of a certain age, did they buy it from the firm Ted Malt used to advertise on television? All I ever really want is to overhear a couple or anyone spatting at a party. I think the overhear is crucial, though. Yeah. One time I remember, it was the middle of the night, and I was so angry at you that I almost took the door off the hinges. Literally. Like I just, I grabbed the doorknob and I said something like, well, fuck you. Go fuck yourself. And slammed the door. And then you went, we have neighbors. And one of the things that you do that annoys me the most when we're arguing is you sort of adopt the position of the really considerate one in the marriage. Like you're you're really busy thinking about other people's needs and your inconsiderate little self-interested wife can't be bothered. And that made me like I was already at 10 out of 10. And then you said we have neighbors. And I went, hey, fucking no. Sarah, what? We have neighbors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next. You know how in, in the Logan Dead episode? Yes. You made the point that we see Tom excel at something virtuous. In Which terms is of, when he has to deliver the news. Yes. I thought that was topped in this episode by his ability to clear his own home of guests so directly and efficiently. That is the song of my heart anytime I have house guests at any point when the three-hour mark has been reached. And by the way, three hours is not long enough to allow people in your home. I think it's plenty. I think t three hours is... No. You've got to be going like four or five. This is what Ugh. people expect. And by three hours, I'm like, we've said our hellos. We've eaten. We've had a drink. Au revoir. And you're not allowed to do it. And I, I thought the directness with which he did it, fantastic. More admirable than delivering bad news. All right, last one. It looks like Roman's going to be giving the eulogy at the funeral. We know from the piece of paper in Logan's safe that it's going to be a Catholic funeral. Does that mean it'll be fuck free? Fuck Free. Yeah. Will Roman have to make a speech without using the F word? If so, is that the longest we will ever have seen Roman go without using a profanity? Oh my goodness. Like, has that character ever had dialogue without fuck in the scene? That is a great question. I also didn't know, what, what did you make of that, that Roman was the one who wanted to speak? I don't know, because early in the episode when Connor brought it up, Roman wasn't chomping at the bit to do it. So what were the chain of events in uh -huh, this episode, uh -huh, uh -huh. including the interaction with Jerry, that led 
Roman to think, okay, I'm going to say a few things at that funeral. Okay, right. So he's going, I keep stepping back and not being proactive. And so now I'm going to take, take what's mine. Maybe so. Interesting. I'm done dumping. We'd love to know what your brain dumps are. What are your thoughts? Why did Connor take his coat off at this party? Who do you think Carly Flight, Pod Goddess, was based on? Do you think it's Sarah Barron? Oh, wait, who do you think it's based on? Oh, it'll be Swisher, won't it? No. Yeah, they wouldn't base it on you. It'll definitely be Swisher. No, I I know what you're saying, but it's not really based on Kara Swisher. Who is it actually based on? Why not a nice little thing for Swisher after all her loyal service with the official HBO podcast? Um, Because that's not the Swisher vibe. So you think it was you? No! (laughs) Sarah, they're, they're not putting coded messages in succession just for you, you know. They're like, this is what your hair could look like. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of hair, any thoughts on Jerry's hair this episode? It's making its way back. And where was Carl? Why wasn't Carl at the tailgate party? where was he? Maybe they didn't invite him because they knew he was going to hoover up all those sliders. (laughs) Can you imagine? He'd eat those sliders like someone else would eat a macaroon. Let us know your thoughts, observations and brain dumps from this week's episode, please. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Now, we were thinking about doing a live show and then... Because we are involved, and we can't say how. Can't say how. With the uh, with the screening of the finale, the watch along of Jesse Armstrong at the BFI in London, we thought, oh, well, that'll do as a live show. We sort of assumed that anyone who'd be that excited to see us would go, okay, great. I'll get a ticket. I'll get to see Jesse Armstrong too. And then as I understand it, it sold out within three minutes. So I was getting these very heartbreaking messages for people who bought memberships to the BFI specifically to be able to see this and they can't. So we feel that we we owe you something. But the the hour draws near is the problem. The end of the series is coming. Is that enough time for you to sort out whatever it is you need to sort out to come to a live show in London. I don't know. So we're, we're going to throw this open. We're thinking about doing something the week before the finale. We are talking the week of the 22nd. Possibly it could be on a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. It will not be on the Friday. It could be Saturday. The question is, if we did a live show that week... Would you be up for it? Here's the guarantees I want to make to people. We would we would structure it so fucking nice for you. <laughs> so so I can promise you a good show. I don't think I can promise you the most sparkling of guests, but we would give you a hundred and ten percent, motherfuckers. I think there's two questions. Would you be up for it? And if so, what's better? One of those weekdays or the Saturday. Send us a tweet. Send me a DM. Email us at fuckoff at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And we should just angle the carrot of our guest on this week's episode. You heard a little clip there at the beginning. She was mentioned in passing by Roman. He just said her name. He connects to her somehow. He He is aware of her pain. He's still holding some of what that loss has felt like for her. Even though he is fully getting in bed with a fascist, there is still part of him that is thinking about... The feelings of another fascist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our guest coming up later is actor Zoe Winters, a.k.a. Kerry. A.k.a. friend, assistant and advisor. Okay, a tradition of Logan's tailgate party 
is that the guest who most closely predicts the election result gets the kettle corn. Uh-huh. So I thought in our episode, we can present the kettle corn to the character who best sees which way things are going in the future. Fine. And I thought we could start with Kendall. Now, I'm not sure that Kendall does a great job of predicting the future health of his relationship with his children. Did you have any sympathy for Rava in this? Yes. It's the most sympathy for Rava that I've ever had. Um, I thought it was telling that we saw Rava rather than Sophie or Iverson, because, of course, Iverson has a a beard and (laughs) tattoos now. Iverson, Iverson, (laughs) that that actor has got so much older since the last season of Succession that if uh, they did uh, want uh. to include him, they'd have to shoot it like The Hobbit. (laughs) What did you make of Kendall's reaction to the news that... Uh, Sophie had been shoved by a racist. He's a great dad. <laughs> He's doing a great job. We do see um, Kendall do a pretty good job of going mano a mano with Matson in this episode, though. Yes, which, by the way, he also did when they were talking to each other in Norway. I think he does okay with Matson. He's wrong-footed by the arrival of the Swedes. The moment of silence. Yes. When you're asked to participate in a moment of silence, is it easier for you to think about the person or people you're supposed to be thinking about, or do you find yourself thinking about the fact that you're supposed to be thinking about that, but then your mind wanders and you go, this silence is uncomfortable? Do you know what I'm thinking? What? Is, is that a minute? What's, so are we about 30 seconds? Yeah, or you'll be thinking like, is I'm someone watching a yes, clock? Yes, yeah. yeah. How do we know when it's over? It's easy if it's one of the official ones and somebody fires a cannon. <laughs> I think it was acceptable for Oscar to be vaping throughout the minutes. Oh my God, I hate a vape. Why do people who wouldn't smoke indoors think it's okay to vape indoors? I think some of those cunts would be smoking indoors as well. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know how people justify it, but I hate a vape. Do you I... like the visual of someone sucking on a USB stick <coughs> with a little light on the end of it? I would be less disgusted watching someone like, I don't even know what the term is called, but when people fucking intravenous drugs into their arms and i expected more from oscar it was also smart of kendall to follow eba outside after greg quote unquote fired her i I thought taking roman with him was overkill it was a one-man job right right and then kendall did great at the bantathon with matson he did great just kept volleying it back and forth those are estimates. These are numbers, whatever that line was. you know. And then the homophobia. Yeah, it was funny to hear him say the numbers are gay. But homophobic. It, of course it was homophobic, but homophobia is hilarious. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that I have a lot of gay friends. <laughs> hey, where are my gays at? Many gay friends always. So I can say these numbers are gay. And I can laugh with Matt's son. Can he laugh, though? He got the okay from his friends. From his gay friends. And then the whole show of it, that they both have to close it off by saying, love the deal, love the deal. Oh, and they did. I love it when um, Lucas kissed Kendall on the neck. It felt very scary and very charged to me. What's going on with Matson's posture? Talk on this. He's kind of hunched. And is it that hunch that some tall people have where they're not quite comfortable in their own skin? Is that Alexander Skarsgård's posture? No, 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 no. Please. It's so interesting because I hate slouching. You're always telling me to sit up straight. Sit up straight. It works on Matson, and it's almost like... Um, because he is literally and figuratively 
the tallest in any room. Yeah. So it's and it's not him being like, oh, I'm sorry to be the tallest, but it's it's working and it's very interesting. And then finally on Kendall trying to carve out a future, what do you make of him dragging Frank into the wardrobe for a little tete-a-tete? Frankie and Kenny. Not CEO and chairman. Well, we don't know, do we? But I think it's smart. And as viewers, we get explicitly what we've all known for a few episodes. Which is that he doesn't give a shit about his siblings, really. Yeah, he loves them, but he's not in love with them. Do you think reverse Viking has any overlap with reverse cowgirl? I don't know. Why don't you try and describe to me the sexual position that you think a reverse Viking would be? Reverse cowgirl, but Mm -hmm. different hat. God, reverse cowgirl. That is some fucking 20-something bullshit right there. That's some performative fucking... I don't have the knees for it anymore. I mean, I do have the knees for it, but, you know, maybe just not the energy. All right, Roman. I don't think he's doing great at the moment, and I would include in that his ability to see which way things are going. He doesn't seem to be thinking in the same way that Shiv has a plan of how to move forward, and Kendall does as well, and Roman seems just too overwhelmed by his own impulses and emotions. Yes, and on impulses and emotions... We see him want to reboot the Jerry firing thing and pretend like it never happened. Which seemed, that seemed like exactly how that would play out. I mean, it's it's possible that my favourite part of this whole episode was him doing an impression of Jerry ordering a martini. The first time we watched it, I thought it was a problem with the sound and they hadn't dubbed it properly. It sounded so much like It her. was so <laughs> good. But Jerry is sticking with it. She's been fired and here's what she wants and here's how it's going to play out. And I just, I think that as I continue to get to know this show more and more, I think she's right. I think she could have gotten him there. I think if that had really been the alliance, Rockstar and Mole Woman, uh, I'll stand in the cupboard and jerk off while you explain to me what the FCC is. That's That could have been the thing. And Roman's vision for the future of democracy in the United States, if the polling is to be believed doesn't look like it's coming true, and hence the desperation to try and persuade Connor to withdraw. Yes, and it was so, you know, just again to prove the point about his unraveling, being so insulting to Willa. Oh, he plays he plays it completely wrong. Firstly, I found it really interesting that he is an intermediary between a fascist and his brother, and he's not just giving the information outright. He is negotiating on behalf of Mencken. Yeah, He's yeah. drip-feeding the stuff to Connor. And think about how much he's always been sort of a Connor. You know, think about him wanting to make sure that they got to the rehearsal dinner on time and trying to keep Willa there and, and all this stuff. And he's really, you know, just another example of him losing it a little bit. And it was so ill-judged trying to drop the truth bomb on Connor that everyone thought he was a joke because it backfired spectacularly. But, but I, I have to say, I didn't view it as a, a choice. I view, like, I, this is what I feel with Roman. Like it's a moment of temper or something. He's not making, Shiv is making choices. Kendall's making choices. Roman is just sort of having these out-of-control emotional responses to what's happening did you clock what happened in the background when connor <laughs> said there's one person in this room who doesn't think i'm a joke and matson just <laughs> points to himself oh is that what he pointed yeah. to himself great you have my so vote <laughs> good did he actually say you have yeah. my vote yeah he does say that doesn't he yeah um but willa might have just saved the union go on wait how did she save the union 
Because Connor was considering Mencken's offer. Oh, oh my God. That is fascinating to think about it that way. But Willa telling Connor there might be some speaking engagements and a book deal in it for him might have just kept the fascist out of the White House. he's not a joke. She just saved the whole country because she made her man feel important. Now, I'll tell you who I think does a good job of seeing which way things are going, even if it's not a future that they particularly like the look of, but it's Tom. Mm-hmm. He's very tired. What is going on? Isn't it tired from when Chef broke his dick during the energetic sex? But, but the it, sex Olympics. Yes, um, orgasm Olympics. Orgasm Olympics, yeah. <laughs> There's a way that someone would talk about feeling tired because they'd had some good sex or, or whatever that was so... I couldn't follow the through line of it. I think the through line of it is there is nothing less interesting than somebody telling you that they're tired. And I feel tired a lot and I really want to moan about it, but I know that it breaks the social contract because talking about your own tiredness is one of those things that you can't do. You're not allowed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But How then- are you? Oh, I'm just so tired. How oh, are you? Oh, well, why don't you go and tuck yourself up in bed then with your teddy bear and a nice yeah, mug of Yeah, it is boring. If Tom getting fired from ATM by Matson hadn't been the subject of gossip and speculation at the party, would he have had a good time? Would he have been able to overcome that tiredness? No. He's not a good mover and shaker, really, I don't think. He was bad at answering Matson's little riddle. Wait, what was the riddle? It was along the lines of, are you more of a hands-on person or an overview? Oh, yeah. Oh, and he's oh, just trying to second um, guess. And if Matson had shat in his mouth... Oh, he would have said it tastes like coco vin. Oh, bon pain. Coco vin, pain au chocolat. Du vin, du pain, du boisson. Why is it a given that Matson wants to get rid of Tom when he takes over? That, that wasn't quite clear to me what the value was in that. Well, the way it went was when Matson was introduced to Nate, mm-hmm. who it looks like is going to be in this position of power, mm-hmm. regulatory oh, power. God. Matson says, I'm going to be making some changes at ATN, very senior management. So the suggestion being that, that, that Tom is going to be axed. Why? Why, if Tom wasn't on the kill list, does he now seem to want him to go? Because Nate's candidate... Imines. Wow. Good pronunciation, right? Yes, you're doing so great. Um, has presumably had a rough ride at ATN. And Matson's saying, when I'm in charge, change direction. People responsible for that uh-huh. are out. And who is more responsible than the head of ATN? Sure. Okay, great. And another thing, Tom proves yet again that he is not a good gift giver. That was bizarre. I am the opposite of Shiv, though. If you bought me that for my birthday, you would have no way of telling whether I liked it or not. No, I know. I never really know what you think of anything I get you ever. You made fun of me because the card I got you for your birthday this year, which is, of course, your 50th, still had the price tag on the back. You wanted to show me how much I'm worth to you. $3.99. I thought it was three fifty. Oh. <laughs> it's very me to overestimate myself by 49p. I knew we were heading for trouble, though, from from the off, when we see Tom taking Shiv that tray of breakfast. Who is Rasmussen? Oh, Rasmussen. That name, I think, is a Finnish name? Hang on. Oh, like Rasmussen. Here we go. Uh Aha, aha, aha. I've Googled it. Um, It is a rightward-leaning polling firm. So when he gives her the polling numbers, he is referring to that particular organisation. But anyway, Tom bowing and scraping and bringing Shiv breakfast on a tray, that's not who she wants him to be. That's not who we saw at the end of the last episode when we had the reset. Already he's fallen into this subservient or servile 
role. But she also can't handle him if he's not sur- servile, and that's why she's going to be lonely for her whole life. Should we move on to Shiv then? I was very surprised by this sort of turn of events with Matson When they have that moment, and she says, like, well, hold on, what have you done for me lately? Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Great song. Uh, is what we're supposed to take from that exchange. So he says, you can have whatever you want. And then she talks about how great she is oh yeah what does she say i'm hot as shit and ready to go yeah she sounded like an apprentice contestant in that moment yes she did that puts him off and we see for the first time that he doesn't actually take her seat like she thinks she's playing him and it's like you can be my girl but oh if you thought that i was thinking of this as meeting of the minds incorrect and again, she's all alone, but man, did she have the hair for it this episode. Oh, talk to me more about that, because the hair dimension, I'm, I'm not in Her the hair. Her hair is just exquisite. Really? Yeah, she's never looked so good. She looks, she's, glo- she's glowing. Mm. She's got the glow, mm. is what I thought. I thought she displayed genuine sensitivity towards Tom when she told him that Nate would be at the party. Yes, I think her emotional story in this episode was... I feel genuinely good to be back with my husband. Okay, my brothers are asking me for this thing and the timing's really bad considering Tom and I are in a good place, but yeah, okay, I can sell that. And then like everything is fine until we get to this place where Matson's going to fire him and he's made to feel small again. Did you enjoy seeing Nate? I did. You got food in your mouth. I do. Did you think I was about to launch into some kind of monologue and be able to chew unnoticed? I thought you were going to be like looking something up for a minute. I did enjoy seeing Nate again. God, you know, his success must be so painful for Shiv and Tom. Nate's everything Tom isn't. And for Shiv, he's everything she can't properly handle, but kind of wants, but can't actually manage. There seems to be no residual sexual tension between Shiv and Nate, though. I don't know if other women feel this, but I had a really hard time, like, blatantly flirting with other men when I was pregnant with your child. I don't want to know that you're going around flirting when you're not pregnant. Are you being serious? A little bit, but not not entirely. Yeah, well... Back to Shiv and Tom, though. I mean, it is just good that they cleared the air, right? I think it is just good that they cleared the air. Wouldn't you rather be at the end of episode six than the end of episode seven? Didn't we all end the previous episode feeling just a little bit optimistic? Yes, it's strange and fucked up in all these ways, but they gave us a little bit of something, then they pulled the well, rug on us. Well, here's the thing, actually. Last episode, in episode six, they cleared the air then, too, but just, just a little. And this time... This was more like... In that first episode, and Tom says something like, oh, do you really want me to get into the laundry list of mm-hmm. emotional damage? Or, mm-hmm. And, and we, we finally got to see him do that. Did you wind up feeling like one of them or the other was the worst person? It's funny, isn't it? Because in some ways, Tom is the worst person because he said to a woman that she wouldn't make a good mother. <laughs> and you shouldn't say that. But would she know? I'm not saying it's her fault. Look at who her parents were. But would she? Yeah, but this is the thing. Like, men are allowed to have kids all the time. And so many of them are bad dads and it's fine. She could have said that back to him, though. Well, but they'd need a succession writer to whip that into shape a little bit, wouldn't they? (laughs) (laughs) So where does it leave us with Tom and Shiv? What the fuck is happening with this pregnancy? Is it nothing? 
I, I wonder if we're not going to find anything out about this pregnancy. That would be a bold move to just leave uh-huh. that hanging. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got three episodes to see, all written by Jesse Armstrong. Oh, my God. Do you think the other writers are like, you fucking hog? <laughs> Okay, this is a great working environment. Thanks, Jesse. We know that it's collaborative. We know that just somebody's name has to be on the first draft. I know, but it's funny to think about. And when we see them laying in the separate beds right at the end, why, if you're the daughter of a billionaire, why does the bed in your guest room look so inferior to the one in the master bedroom? Do I think the bed that Shiv was in just looks so much nicer than the one that Tom was well, in? Well, I think no matter the house, there's always going to be the good, the good bed and the bad bed. Why wouldn't you just buy two of the same bed? Status. It's just how life works, don't you think? My big question was Shiv in a negligee. Very interesting to me. Shiv doesn't strike me as a negligee kind of lady. A negligee says I'm trying. Do you think negligee is a bit saucy 70s housewife? Yeah. Welcoming in the milkman. Yes, that is what I think. With fluffy slippers on. Yes. I was just, I was very surprised when I was like, what? she's in her own bed in a negligee. Huh. All right, then. So we definitely think Roman's done a poor job. He's just chaos, chaos, chaos. It's not been a great one for Shiv. No. So I'd say given the people we've discussed, it's between Kendall and Tom. Who's done the better job of seeing the future in this episode? So who between those two gets the kettle corn? Bearing in mind the show isn't going to let anyone win, really. I think we give kettle corn to Kendall. Kettle corn for the number one boy. Kettle corn for Kendall, because I love an alliteration. Okay, we want to hear from you, please, for Friday Sprinkles. Let us know your thoughts, observations, theories, queries. Is Eba keeping those bricks of Matson's blood? If so, where? In her own freezer? No, I think they go immediately into her sink and she runs hot water on them to make them melt away. Then is she not destroying the evidence? Maybe she keeps like one. Wouldn't it be weird, though, having that next to your frozen peas? We've got some weird shit next to our frozen peas. <laughs> well, I keep my cashmere jumpers in a we got moths and Jeff had some nice, well, he has some nice cashmere stuff and it, it lives in our freezer, but it's like chaos. Also, what do you think has prompted Maxim Pierce's facial hair escalation? Mark Lynn Baker. I don't know, but he wore it very well. And do you think the table football table in Tom's apartment was hired in for the party? Or do you think he bought it while him and Shiv were on a break as uh, an activity for the Disgusting Brothers on Night's Inn? Oh, Disgusting Brothers. I didn't notice the football table. The email address is ever. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And do you want to tell them about our guest? Well, what's better than this person's hair? Her acting. She was a doll. Turns out it's just a part she plays on the TV. She was generous. She was fun. She was great. She was interesting. She's my friend, assistant, and advisor. Carrie Castellabate, Zoe Winters herself. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Zoe Winters. Hi. Hi. I'm like, I'm, um, I'm flushed. How is your, your hair envy doing at the moment? I... I really struggled with you as a character and Jeff kept putting it to me that my envy for your hair was so overwhelming that I couldn't even see straight. And I was sure it was a wig. It's so real. Jeez, I wish my bangs looked a little better. I would have. Well, I think one of my first questions is for you to get a Brazilian blowout must be so expensive. So I don't envy that because that is not a cheap amount of hair to get. Do they charge according to volume of hair? They do. Yeah. Well, the women who do hair on this show are incredible, and Val Velez does my hair every day. So I'm not going to salon. She she does my hair every day, and she is spectacular. So they only have one person. It's not like no. you have three people on you, and all the other women on the show have one. Right. There's many women that work on hair on the show, especially depending on how many people are on set that day. But Val uh, and I have worked together for the past couple years is she like oh it's so fun to work with zoe because she's so nice or is she like fuck me i got the one with that amount of hair that i gotta deal with now every morning so much we've had so much fun we have so many pictures of like a tissue underneath (laughs) underneath the bang so that the bang so that she can see that straight line and cut that straight line but i just got a little bit of a um I just got some layers. A curl. I'm seeing a natural, a free curl to Zoe that Carrie does not have. And so if you're like, if you're not in six sessions, I'm really interested in this and you're going out. How long does it take your hair to get rid? Like, are you blow drying or or do you just like shake and go? What? What's the I mean, I can do, I mean, you can do anything. Uh-huh. Well, uh, okay, Zoe, you can do (laughs) anything. I mean, I I usually um, blow dry my hair, but. But I do have pretty much have like long straightish hair with a wave. It used to be curlier. Oh, what what what? <laughs> I, for what it's worth, I mean, this is like so much more interesting than anything we're going to ask you about Brian well, Cox. I like, come weight, on! I think the weight the, of it, the weight. Yeah, I'll do it for the mic. Uh, 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 the weight of the hair is straighter. <laughs> I feel like because a man wouldn't get to speak to you like this, but I, I feel correctly or not that as another woman, I'm allowed to kind of like objectify that mane. Right. There are photographs you see of Zoe Deschanel where she's she's has no fringe and she's unrecognizable. Is that the right. same case with you? Right. I'm sure if I put my hair in a ponytail and I parted my bangs. You can get the <laughs> an- can, anonymity yeah. that you crave. She can get in and out of the bodega without getting harassed by the <laughs> paparazzi. Right. 
On my 4 a.m. bodega, my yeah. 4 bodega visits, I can be anonymous. I've realized watching this show, I'm I'm like a weird lady who watches soap operas in the middle of the day. We're like, <laughs> I I even looking at your face now, I'm 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 just catching up with the fact that you're not Carrie. Do you, you want me? We can start over, and I can just. Do you mind just being a fucking god? They use that word differently in the UK. Um, I don't think you're allowed to say. Listen up, guys. It's because my acting is so good. You're all confused, <laughs> but I think like. I think that's why it is. I had done a play in 2019 where I played a very disturbing, fire-spewing, alt-right, Bannonite person. <laughs> and another member in the cast said to me, um, we were in rehearsals and a castmate said to me, you know, I think that you should try to start dating before we start previews because I think once people see this, they're just never going to touch you again. And then people who knew I was Carrie... Um, thought that I was going to be harsher and uh, and meaner in person. And I think sometimes, often, people were a little disappointed that I wasn't. <laughs> you know, it's an embarrassing thing to feel. But yeah, I was shocked by your warmth. Oh, Pleasantly surprised. So, so when you started on the program, um, I'm guessing you didn't know what the arc was going to be across the next two series no no definitely not how much of knowing what Kerry was like on the inside was was present in those initial scenes you're seemingly just Logan's PA yeah when I came in I came in at the end of season two and I had like two scenes and in one scene uh he asked me to like book a flight and in the next scene I told Shiv that I had booked a flight so those are my two scenes but I had watched the show and I was a fan of the show um and and I gathered from some circumstances that um, they were heading into these congressional hearings that they had been um, a sexual misconduct scandal with the Waystar Cruises. And that's when she joined the company. And so I thought that for me, that was a way in to her was who joins a company at the height of a sexual misconduct scandal, like what kind of terrifying person decides to go work for that company and that person. So for me, I thought right away that she had terrifying politics. I also thought just to be in that world, just to to want to be succeeding um, from what I've read of these media conglomerates and these media moguls is there's, there's a big fandom around uh, the CEOs and people are really huge fans of them and kind of this rah-rah mentality of when they come in the room and everyone's hyped up and singing their praises. And so I always felt that those were kind of my two clues was that she had joined during this really disturbing investigation and that she was a big fan of his. So I kind of used that to start just building the spine of who she was. And I'm a real, I have a big work ethic. Part of it is healthy. Part of it is obsessive. Um, but I spent a lot of time just creating who she was and what her background was just so that she would feel alive. Can you give an example of your work ethic as when it manifests in a way that to you feels healthy versus when yeah. you're like, I'm, I'm being a crazy lady, I'm being a crazy lady? Yeah, I, we had this joke because I we were in Italy shooting and this is during season three where I really didn't have a ton of text. And I was talking with a castmate and, and we were on lunch and I said that I have this 400-page document on Carrie and they were like, you don't even have any lines. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
But yeah, I think especially because I didn't have a ton of language, I think I wanted to make her a full person. And I, I wanted to rise to that standard that uh, the show had set in season one and season two. Someone who's working at your level and getting the jobs that you're getting, is there any part of you that's like, oh, fucking two lines, but yet succession? Or is it like from the off, you'll take whatever you can get in that situation and then it was just insane that it blossomed into this other thing? I had just been doing plays. So I kind of felt like I'll do theater for my whole life. And then once in a while, I'll do a TV and film job and I'll I'll make a little money, but I'll I'll live this not necessarily financially <laughs> um, lucrative, but very artistically fulfilling existence uh, of doing theater in New York. I mean, it's so good. But but I had seen season one of of Succession, and so I was a huge fan of the show. And there's a lot, ton of theater people on that. There's a lot of playwrights that work on it, and just to to be able to like walk on a set and see how they're all working together sounded really inspiring to me. Um, and so I auditioned that. And then I shot season um, two before I did Will Arbery's play, Heroes oh. of Fort Turning. And then I shot season three. Is it just a coincidence, these two sort of overlaps between you and Will Arbery? He's also a, a writer on Succession. That's right. That's right. No, I had done a workshop of Here's the fourth turning maybe a year and a half before. And do you get any sense that what you did in that play and the way it was received led the people at Succession to think, we've, we've got to do more with Zoe? You know, I'm not totally sure of how these things go. Uh, I think the story for me that feels important is that I, I auditioned for it because there is... Um, kind of some ideas around how things happen and how you get things and what are the opportunities and, and where does it come about. And uh, and auditioning is such a huge part of trying to get work. So yeah, I think for me was that um, we had right. shot season two and I felt like I had really made connections with people. I felt like I had shared, you know, who I was and, and my idea of the character and then a lot of the succession people came and saw uh, Heroes of the Fourth Turning. And I definitely had an incredible role in that play. Right. Um, and I know Frank Rich was a big, big fan of it. And Tony Roche came and saw it. And, and Susan Soon, he's Stanton. And um, I know that a lot of writers came and saw it. And so, yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of that they saw me do this thing on stage. And then also I worked really hard on that set as far as coming up with ideas and making her be a full person. And Mark Mylod and Jesse and I would have conversations about who she was. And they were really open to my ideas about what her background was and what her story was and what her ambition was. They really listened to the actors on that show. That's so and interesting because my, my impression would be like on some some shows, an actor with a small part goes over and starts talking to the writer and the director about their perception of the character and may, maybe there'd be a bit of an eye roll. No, I mean, I wouldn't like go up to them and say, hey, let me tell you about my character. <laughs> yeah. But I, <laughs> but I uh, would just make a choice in a scene and gave her some texture you know, I, I had a phone call in season four and um, Mark Mylod came over and we were shooting it. They were setting it up and he said, so tell me, tell me, tell me, talk to me about Carrie. And he asked some specific questions. And I was like, well, and then I like talked for 45 minutes while they set up the shot. And then, you know, we did the phone call scene. It was like three lines. And I was like, so did you get all of that? <laughs> <laughs> um, who were you? Who were you most 
nervous to meet. Because she's this theatre fan and there are some titans of acting, I mean, just Brian Cox. You know, Brian, for me, I, I was never scared or intimidated. Brian's great. I mean, I came on early on in one of our scenes. I was like, you know, Brian, I'm going to try something. And he was like, you do whatever you want to do. Brian is such a good actor. He's so fun to act across from. He is not in any way trying to control your performance or judge your performance or even look at your performance. He's just listening to you and staying inside the spine of who Logan Roy is and then responding to it. He also, like, you know, his training is incredible. So just his ability with rhythm and language and text is is astounding. So he knows how to fall into language and and make it be felt in a great way. Can you describe to me his overall aroma as a person? Aroma? Mm-hmm. I want to know what Brian Cox smells like. Sarah's obsessed with the <laughs> idea of sniffing s- Logan Roy. I just imagine that he, like, <laughs> smells really good. I mean, I think Carrie is maybe wearing so much perfume that I can almost <gasps> only smell myself. Oh, my gosh. I completely disagree with you about that choice that you're making with your character. <laughs> I think Carrie smells... Am- and I don't like her, but I think she smells... Perfect. Oh and it's yeah, just no, the, definitely. Yeah, it's like expensive, and I, I actually don't think she smells too much. I think no, she it's, smells it's really not nice too much. Well. But it's enough to, it's enough to only to smell f- herself to fill the room. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah. I, I can't figure out if Logan has a type or not. It would seem that's perhaps not the case. Right. Looking at the different women in his life, Lady Caroline, Marsha, <laughs> yeah. uh, the fling with Raya, and then Kerry. I, I right. can't spot what the thing is that links those four right. women. Well, not to, not to toot my own horn but smart i think they're all smart i was gonna say they're not dummies and they're not weak either he doesn't like a weak dummy why why carrie for logan do you think i think that carrie has really terrifying political leanings and so i think what we saw in season three was her pushing him towards this really fascist racist candidate and he was he was listening to her. She had his ear. And I think that Carrie, you know, kind of has her has her finger on the pulse of politics in a certain way. And I mean, scary politics. And, and I think I think he listened to her around that. Do you think you could date someone who had different politics to you? I don't. I think that that would be in really, really hard for me. I couldn't. Can you love Carrie? Um, I'm not saying that people who's morals are different than mine or whose politics are different than mine are not full people and don't have sadness and heartbreak and you know obviously they're humans everybody's human um but i don't always worry too much about whether i would like my own character love my own character i just kind of take on their circumstances and i let my imagination go and but i do pay very attention to not um making it a caricature. I mean, people have sometimes asked me if it's been hard to play such dislikable characters. I mean, a lot of my theater, I come off stage and people are like, I hated you. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, my God. But I'm so sorry I think- to have, I, I feel like I just, I'm so sorry to have done that too. But again, I think it's to the credit of the acting. Oh. Sarah, Sarah you, you took glee. Sarah felt glee when Marsha had Kerry thrown out. I did. Right. I was really interested in how people... We're like, God, that was so interesting. Succession, so amazing. I felt so much empathy for Carrie in that moment. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, 
Not me. I uh-huh. was watching that scene like that's right, bitch. Suffer. You know, I'm so I'm really good friends with with Jay, and and I become really close with Kenny Lonergan, her her husband, and we were talking about that scene where Marsha throws her out, and he had something really insightful, which was, you know, that he felt like everyone's still vying for power, and everyone still has some position, so they can't really attack each other in a ferocious way. But then when somebody comes in who has really lost all power, that's when you can see them exercise their abuse on someone. Oh my God. It's so I and I thought that really true. It's so yeah. true. Can can I ask um does Jay's husband need to intervene with how much she's on her phone? Because if I'm looking at social media, <laughs> that woman is liking, commenting constantly. Jay is really one of my best friends and she also, I think, has like the healthiest relationship with social media out of maybe anyone I've ever seen. I mean, wow. she just goes on Twitter to like make friends. Like she said to me, she was like, oh do you want to do you want to go get a martini with me and Amor? And I was like, Amor Tolls? <laughs> she's like, yeah, we became friends. It's not like she's networking or she's just out there like supporting people. Living her life, and man. And making friends. Social media, you know, is so complicated and and so detrimental in so many ways. But honestly, Jay's relationship with social media, I find I'm totally tickled by. I think that she totally does it right. She's just trying to make friends. (laughs) And and she's also a big supporter of people. I mean, Jay has really been in my corner the entire time. Like when I came on, Jay added me to all the text chains you know, she brought me in. She invited oh me goodness. to everything. We were on set one time and, and you know, it, it's intimidating. You see the show. You see all these famous actors. You love the show. You come on. You have to, like, do a scene. And this this actor was doing the scene. They had all this legalese, rapid-fire pace. And you're staring at the cast of Succession. And they're staring back at you. And they want, you know, what are the numbers and what are the votes? And this actor was, understandably, like, trying to get comfortable and and find their way and they ended up doing a great job and we broke and they were they were turning the cameras around and and i just watched and jay went up to that actor and said you know i really loved when you did this and then that moment when you when you looked at us all and then you looked away and then you looked back at us all like she had she found like four or five moments to just go up and specifically tell this person who had been tasked with a difficult job it's hard to walk in i know i've done it so many times like you're the your first day and your last day you're coming on to a set and it's already a moving moving train and and how do you just come in and and plant yourself as if you've been there all along and i i was just jay's a really good person the atn audition yes there's nothing funny on the page does all the funny in that have to come from you well becky martin directed that episode she is brilliant and she had some great ideas and then i came in with a lot of ideas too like i I always thought about not knowing what to do with your hands. And so I added in a lot of that. But there was even more of it. Like I would just like take a pencil and just kind of, for no reason, put it on the other side of my body, (laughs) you know. Um, And then there was a lot of stuff that didn't make it in around um, assaulting like hair and makeup people. Like I had a lot of stuff around like how I felt like my bangs weren't straight enough. And there was one time where like we were filming and I did the text and then still in character i said you know i can feel that my bangs are not right and this woman who was doing hair was like oh, oh i'm coming i'm coming and i was like oh no oh my god now i'm, I'm playing a part i'm not a horrible you were so person. convincing 
<laughs> not a terrible person just freaking out about my bangs. Um, but uh, we just had so much fun with it. And just, you know, like reading things and thinking it's a comma, but it's actually like a period. I didn't want it to be so bad. You know, I didn't want it to be like a comment on the joke. I, I, I also think that she thought it was a formality. I think she already thought she had the job. So she, it was right. kind of a trick to her. So it's not like she was totally trying. It was like she was doing it, but she was also like getting this task out of the way. But she's also somebody trying to catch up with themselves and having their body betray them because internally they're inside of a nightmare. Okay. Also, you in profile looking off to the side, Zoe, whilst thinking you looked like a fucking mermaid on a fucking rock (laughs) with that hair of yours. So it was like watching a mermaid on a rock (laughs) in a lake. You were so generous with your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so great talking. Wasn't she fantastic? Don't you just want to go and see her in a play now? Yeah, I really do. But like at the right size theater, like not too big. I want to like watch her work up close. Do you have your list of favorite lines and turns of phrase from this week's episode? Baby, you know that I do. Do do that voodoo that you do. Father Sexmas, go contribute to the great toxification. I was raising our daughter while you were busy running a racist news organization. Woke up on the wrong side of the coffin today, boy. Waste our Jesus. Cuddle puddles. Oh, what? Your usual malign influence material? The Orgasm Olympics. Don't say it's biodynamic and don't say it's German. And yes, a little bit of fizz is normal and sophisticated. We're going to give your guns hormone therapies. All your guns are going to be ladies. You gobble my gravlocks, pal. The weekend Malbec morons. I'm about to take a shit in your husband's mouth and I'm pretty sure he's going to tell me it tastes like coco vin. A number two who's moon-beamed on edibles and a communication officer who's terrified of communicating. I think I'm a no on the slows. A one-pepper menu item. A butcher with a smile. I'll stand in the cupboard and jerk off while you explain to me what the FCC is. Here's a dead snake to wear as a necktie, Tom. Why aren't you laughing? All right, we'll be back on Friday with Sprinkles. We'd love to hear from you, so why don't you wind up the old fax machine and fart it out? Don't forget, we we want to try and get a sense of whether you'd be up for a live show the week before the finale, and if so, what works best? Is it a weekday or is it the Saturday? I would be fascinated if we get any kind of majority on that. I think we'll see if there's a groundswell or not. Jeff. Sarah. Eba. Lucas. Jeff. Eba. (laughs) Lucas, <laughs> we um we have to get the people the content of me eating that disgusting food. Yes. Not only have I taken my money and got my swimsuit and my heels and been to Marrakesh and come back to London, I haven't given the people their sea tent. I don't want to do it. I'm worried it'll make me vom vom. But but neither do you want to be on the receiving end of class action litigation. No, and someone emailed and was like, um, hey, well, where's my content? Fair, I contributed yeah. and I was. So ashamed and knew, of course, that he was correct. So email us. Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. Kendall told Rava that he's working on six continents. Will his next vision for Waystar be Antarctica? 4,000 people live there in the summertime. It could be very lucrative. Is that true? That's true, yeah. 4,000? Hold on. It's it's bigger than uh, Australia. It's bigger than Europe. But only 4,000 people live there. In Antarctica? Yeah, it's only 1,000 in the winter. They live there in the summer? It'll be researchers, scientists. What? 
penguin fans. That's so crazy. You look very destabilized by that it, bit of information. It, it, does the temperature, like, so my impression on the about the equator, for example, is that it doesn't matter what time of the year it is. It's just sort of like insanely hot. Like, is summer warmer in the Antarctic than it is in the winter? Isn't it just? Well, th- where is the sun in the summer? In the it, sky. But where, where though, in the north? And that's why you get long days here in the north in the summer. And then it goes to the south in the winter. Hold on. But like, I just don't get it. Like, Mm. what kind of clothing you wear in the Antarctic in the summer? There's Patagonia fleeces. So you can get away with like exposing your flesh to the air. I'm not saying at the South Pole, but it's, it's a bigger, it's bigger, it's a continent. All right, I've just looked it up. Average temperature in Antarctica in December. Now, this is Fahrenheit, so I don't know what this means, but um, 29 to 34 degrees. Really? That's like around freezing. That's like around zero degrees Celsius. Uh-huh. Also, will the series finale see the Conheads mounting civil insurrection and demanding Alaska secedes from the Union? I couldn't pull 4% in Alaska. And following his robot voice, which, as we said last week, could see him cast as the voice of Calispitron, should Greg be allowed to read the election results on ATN in the style of himself firing people over Zoom? Da, 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 da. And, and of course, the only way for us to finish is for you to ask people to leave, like Tom asking people to leave the triplex. Okay, get out of my house. Get out of my house. Everything is over now. Thanks very much. Get out of my house. I'm go- I'm very tired. I'm tired. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.